welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Hello, Boomer Women, and welcome back. I have been looking forward to this episode for some time now. My guest this week is a lovely, caring, smart woman who's going to talk to us about breast cancer, or, more specifically, ways to decrease your cancer risk. Now, this subject is huge. When Marnie and I were discussing which subject we could fit into one or two podcast episodes, I finally suggested she start her own podcast. Now, I've been fortunate so far, but I think we all know someone who's experienced cancer in one form or another, and most of us know someone who's not survived the diagnosis. And that's where today's guest comes in. She does not come with any guarantees, but she's walked the walk and now she's talking the talk. Marnie Clark, welcome to Two Boomer Women. The mic is all yours, and would you share with our listeners how you became the breast cancer coach? Right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Uh, Like you, I've been looking forward to this as well. So what launched me into doing this uh, was, a first of all, I had a background of breast cancer. Both my mother and my grandmother had it and died from it. So I've always known from the get-go that I had a higher risk, and that's what launched me into doing this. When I was going through it myself uh, at the age of 48, and I keep in mind I just lost my mother to this disease some six years previously, I really knew from the, from the very outset that I was going to have to be very proactive and do things my way because at that point I was already a natural therapist and um, that's my that's my background natural therapies and my passion and I knew that I was going to have to be really cautious about how I went through this and uh, that that part of it was kind of hard for me because of the fact that you know the doctors are very specific you've got to do this this and this if you don't do these things then you you know your your chances aren't good. So I had to balance that information along with what I already knew to be true. And, um, yeah, that's so, so putting all that together for myself was important, but also then, uh, a a good friend of mine, uh, said to me, you really need to be sharing this information that you've put together for yourself with other people, because there's many, many others out there like you who don't want to, uh, just do what the doctors say to do. Uh, they want to know what what helped you through it, um, what things made the difference for you. So, so it was about probably a good nine years after my diagnosis that I finally put my website together. It took me a while to 
to get to the stage where I felt confident enough to do that. And at that point, I wasn't doing any coaching. I was just sharing information. But then, you know, I got the call to say, you know, people were saying to me, we really need you to, you know, stand by us on this road and, and help us out. And uh, so that's what I, you know, at, at, as a response to all of that, I decided that being a coach was probably where I needed to be. Um, as we were pre- prepping this interview, you sent me your publication, 24 Ways to Decrease Your Cancer Risk. And, and I found yep. it really informative. Um, while some of the points were standard, I was really interested by others of them. And I'm not going to pretend I know your subject, so I'm going to let you dive in. If it's okay from time to time, I might put my hand up. Um, but other than that, it's yeah. all yours. So okay. Thank you. Thank you for the chance to share all this. So the first 10 tips are all about nutrition because that is really key. And then I'm going to move into other lifestyle things you can do to reduce your risk of breast cancer. So the first one is eating organic fruit and vegetables. Uh, Because of the fact that our fruits and vegetables are so highly sprayed with cancer-causing pesticides and herbicides, we absolutely have to buy them organically grown whenever possible. And if you can get organic produce from a farmer's market, that's even better due to the freshness component. And choose brightly colored produce. Eat from the rainbow is what I say. Um, Think of it this way. The brighter the color, the more protective it is. And what creates that bright color is what protects us from cancer. So layer on those colors, as many as you can eat every day. And eat them raw whenever possible because uh, that that, when they're raw, they contain all of those wonderful healing phytochemicals, which means phytochemicals means plant-based compounds. Um, and lightly steaming them is fine too, just so the nutrients aren't destroyed. And don't avoid fruit because somebody told you it has too much sugar or too many carbs. Fruit is enormously protective against cancer. In fact, I know one woman who cured herself from stage four cancer just by eating organic fruit from her farm. So, No matter where in the world you live, there are special foods that will protect you from apples to watermelon and everything in between. Wherever you are in the world, every single country has its own particular types of fruit. Like um, in the the Orient, they've got something called durian, which is a horribly looking (laughs) big old thing. Uh, Looks like it would be, you know, you could use it for a basketball. It's it's that big, and it's really ugly. It smells horrible. <laughs> in fact, the, the hotels in the area won't let their won't let their people come into the hotel if they if they're carrying a durian with them because it's so smelly. But the thing about it is that once you cut it open and and uh, and eat it, it has some of the most amazing protective phytochemicals. But even so, does the simple apple. An apple contains within it so many things. That old saying, an, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, is so incredibly true. Now, what about, sorry, I'm going to interject here. What about when I'm in downtown Victoria and I go to my grocery store and there's a durian there? Yeah. Is that as good as my local produce or has it probably traveled so far that it's not quite as healthy? Well, good question. You know, obviously the fresher it is, the better it is, but it's still going to have quite a number of protective nutrients in it. So, yeah, I mean, would give it a try. Absolutely. Um, 
it's 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 one of those unquantifiable things. But another question I get is, what if I can't get organic produce because in some parts of the world it's just not it's not uh, available. So in that particular case, I tell people to wash the hell out of it um, and you know give it a good scrub, peel it if you have to, and have it anyway because um, it's it's so much better for you to be having it than not having it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny. I think living in a in a bigger city like I do, um, just the fact that I can get out to a farmer's market, I guess I take that for granted. But I never thought of the fact that yeah. so many people don't have organic produce around. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the second thing is avoid genetically modified foods. In many parts of the world, we now have GMOs slipping into our foods, and so. So what is GMO exactly? And uh, here's the definition given by the World Health Organization. Genetically modified organisms can be defined as organisms, i.e. plants, animals, or microorganisms, in which the genetic material, DNA, has been altered in a way that does not occur naturally by mating and or natural recombination. The technology is often called modern biotechnology or gene technology, sometimes also recombinant DNA technology or genetic engineering. It allows selected individual genes to be transferred from one organism into another, also between non-related species. Foods produced from uh, or using GM organisms are often referred to as GM foods. Okay, so back when I was a kid, there was a commercial on TV. I think it was for margarine. And it said, it's not nice to fool with Mother Nature. I remember that. Uh-huh. I totally, that's what I think of when I think of GMO foods. So why are they doing this? One of the reasons is to make it uh, a crop resistant against insects and, and viruses and thus providing a higher crop yield. So again from the WHO, uh, WHO, resistance against insects is achieved by incorporating into the food plant the gene for bacterium, and they name it Bacillus thuringiensis, something like that. This uh, toxin is currently used as a conventional insecticide in agriculture and is safe for human consumption. Have they tested that? Good question. GM crops that inherently produce this toxin have been shown to require lower quantities of insecticides in specific situations. The thing is, though, uh, did we ever have all this gluten intolerance when we were kids? Had you ever heard of it? No, and I agree. You know, there's so many things that have come about in the last 30 years. And, yeah. and I mean, GMOs, I think I've been aware of GMOs for probably 30 years or pretty close to. But yeah. how, how do we know? Do, is there any publications out there that can help us with that? A uh, good question on where to find it, though. Um, I would just Google how to know if your crop is GMO, because in some parts of the world, they have those little um, labels, you know, that they use at the scanner at the supermarket. And if it has a certain number, it will. That's a key oh. factor. So it that differs from parts from parts of the world, though. Uh, but just know that in the USA, the crops that are usually GMO are corn, soybeans, sugar beets, canola, papayas, interestingly enough, squash, apples, and potatoes. In Canada, the crops that are usually GMO are canola, corn, potatoes, soybeans, sugar beets, and alfalfa. 
Uh, and there are five more that usually are, and that's apples, cotton, eggplant, papaya, and squash. Now, quite a number of European countries have a total ban on GMOs, and I think that's very telling. France, Germany, Austria, Greece, Hungary, the Netherlands, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Bulgaria, Poland, Denmark, Malta, Slovenia, Italy, and Croatia. That's a lot of countries that have said no to GMOs. They've all chosen against it. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that's important for us to know. I find it interesting some of the ones you named because some of the vegetables or fruits that I buy now, I'm, I mean, potatoes comes instantly to mind. I am constantly yeah. complaining um, about mm. the quality and the fact yeah. that they're often they look they okay. taste they just taste different don't they well they taste different but they're often not even good quality you cut into them and there's this weird stuff on the inside yeah. and, and you know it's yeah. just yeah. i don't know exactly so i i really do think they are causing a myriad of health problems like allergic reactions you know you think about wheat and gmo wheat and our poor guts just weren't designed to deal with that and I think a lot of people are having gluten intolerances because of that. You wonder, I'm just thinking, I don't know about uh, where you are, but I know up here in Canada, everybody that could possibly find a couple of square feet in their yard has been doing their own garden and their own veggies yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, as this goes on into year two, whether or not new habits are formed and people mm -hmm. do start providing their own. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. I think that is one of the best ways around this is to grow it wherever you can. I happen to live on a I'm very lucky we're renting a property that has a big veggie patch out the back and so I'm really enjoying growing as much of my own produce as I can. So number 3 is to cut your sugar intake and avoid sugar substitutes. Um, we all know you know, a diet high in sugar isn't good for you, but it does put you at a higher risk for breast cancer and other types of cancer as well. So, and, and once cancer develops, sugar is its favorite fuel, um, especially highly processed white sugar. So and the more of it you eat, the better environment you're giving to cancer cells. So some people will turn to sugar substitutes uh, instead because they have sweet tooth. But these artificial sugars have not been proven to be safe either. Some doctors feel that, for instance, aspartame is responsible for at least 92 different health problems. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> crazy, isn't it? And I must admit, this is one subject that's near and dear to my heart, um, because I know so many people who think that artificial sweeteners are the magic yeah. bullet for weight management. But exactly, I guess they're just a bullet. Yeah, they can be. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's heaps and heaps of information on the Internet about that. So yeah, if you want to find out anything more, just just Google, you know, sugar and cancer. Yeah, scary. Yeah. So number four, if you're eating meat, just eat organic raised, grass fed or biodynamic meats. The meat industry in many countries is using synthetic hormones and antibiotics with their cattle, pigs and poultry. You know, they fatten them, fattening them up to get them to market sooner. So the problem with these chemicals though, is that they've been shown to increase our risk for cancer considerably. Some experts are saying consumption of non-organic red meat gives women an 88 to 330% higher risk of breast cancer. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, my recommendation is, to, you know, 
eat red meat if you want to. Don't do it any more than once a week and make sure that the meat you do eat is organic. And here's another tip. It's best to consume meat only every other day to allow your gut to have a little rest. 70% of your energy goes towards digesting. And when it isn't tied up doing that, then your body can work on other beneficial things that can help your overall health. So if you're eating meat, just have it one day and a meat-free day the next or you know go vegetarian if you wish that's that's totally up to you but i think that's important yeah more and more people i know are going pretty vegetarian you know maybe a bit of chicken here a bit of fish there yeah. but that's about it yeah 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 um and number five if you're eating highly processed meats like bacon and sausages make sure to combine them with plenty of fruit and vegetables the problem with highly processed meats is that they contain preservatives called nitrites. And uh, if there are no fruits or vegetables present in the digestive tract, these nitrites can form something known as nitrosamines in our bodies, which are linked to cancer development. But when you combine them with veggies and fruit, that same meal, uh, in that same meal, it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to interject here that I did the happy dance when I read that because I have this <laughs> I have this this spicy sausage that I love to make a pasta sauce out of, yeah. and I knew it was a sausage. I knew about the nitrites, yeah. but it's just so tasty and so zippy, and it's, I just love it. Um, but I mean, that's so it's many a people out there that love bacon as well. You know, oh, no, I, can't, yeah, I, can't I mean, there's a whole website uh, devoted to bacon recipes. You know, so yeah, just <laughs> crazy. But anyways, yeah. because it's a pasta sauce, you know, I've got like all sorts of you know onions, peppers, and all sorts of veggies yeah. in there, as well as the tomato sauce. So yeah. I thought, okay, maybe I can get away with this. So, yeah, as I say, absolutely. I did the happy dance when I read that part of your. Uh, yeah, I learned that particular tip from Dr. Michael Grieger at a. Uh, he, it's new nutritionfacts.org. I love this guy. He is always examining different things, you know, different aspects. Obviously, people ask him a lot of different questions. So he's got a whole YouTube uh, channel called nutritionfacts.org. He, and he goes into the research heavily. And so, yeah, he's my go guy for um, finding out about things like this. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, good to know. I'll put that in the show notes. Mm. So um, number six is avoid margarine and hydrogenated fats. I think we know. I think everybody knows this now. But there's still a lot of people out there buying margarine. It surprises me. It's pla It's like spreadable plastic. Bugs won't eat it. Insects won't touch it. That should give you a clue. <laughs> margarine and oils containing hydrogenated fats, trans fats, and partially hydrogenated fats all fuel cancer cells. Uh, so we need to get them out of our diets. Um, instead, use organic butter and cold-pressed oils, things like organic extra virgin uh, olive oil, organic coconut oil, organic sunflower oil even, um, organic avocado oil. All of those are preferable over things like vegetable or canola oil. And uh, as I said, in, the canola oil is particularly a problem because in many parts of North America and Australia, it's a genetically modified crop. And I think, too, I mean, given the... The rate of obesity in North America, especially, um, you know, the, the more we avoid anyways of a lot of that, like just use high quality oils or, you know, that sort of thing when you yeah. need to. But you just don't need to pile it on anyways. Yeah, that's all right. Well, you know, health fats are actually healthy for you. That's that's one thing that has been 
drilled into our heads that we need a low-fat diet, but it actually isn't good for you. We were meant to have healthy fats in our diets. Avocados especially are wonderful. Yeah, I guess where I was coming from there is just the fact that people say, oh, well, this stuff is so expensive. Mm, But, you know, like if you're not slathering on four tablespoons of butter on two pieces of toast, or margarine on two pieces of toast, you know, you can afford butter or even cooking a high quality oil and just get rid of all that stuff. Sorry, I didn't mean to. (laughs) No, 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 that's fine. (laughs) So number seven is to take around two tablespoons of freshly ground flaxseed every day. This has been heavily studied for several decades and it's considered to be extraordinarily protective against breast cancer. Flax seeds are rich in both alpha-linolenic acid and linoleic acid, as well as zinc, magnesium, B vitamins, potassium, and all kinds of good fiber. And they also contain something called lignans, which research shows is very protective and inhibits the development of breast cancer, but other types of cancer as well. So adding flaxseed to your diet also helps to improve liver function, protects against heart disease, it helps with depression, accelerates the healing process, because it helps to maintain the flexibility of red blood cells. So that's really important. It also prevents fatty degeneration in the liver. It lowers your cholesterol levels naturally and triglycerides, and it helps your brain work better. So the best way to take it, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's always nice. <laughs> your brain mm-hmm. works better. All those, yeah, all those things. Yeah, so great. So rather than buying it in an oil already made in bottles, it's best to grind your own seeds. You can use a small coffee grinder or um, if you have a Nutribullet, there's a milling blade in that. And you sprinkle that powder onto your cereals, onto salads, mix it up with juices and smoothies. Now, having said that, if buying it in bottles as an oil or in capsules is the only way you're going to take it, do that. But make sure it's refrigerated Make sure it's organic and contains those all-important lignans. Sometimes you can get the oil when it says, you know, includes lignans. So that's what you want. Uh, but, but freshly ground flaxseed really is the best way to obtain all of those beneficial nutrients that these tiny little seeds contain. They're pretty awesome. Now, I tend to add flax seeds when I make bread, but that, uh-huh. that's the whole seed. Like, does that still work? Or? Yeah. Well, should it be better to grind it? It is better to grind it, yeah, because the fact that the the seed is pretty impervious to your digestive acids and will pretty much pass all the way through untouched. (laughs) (laughs) What a waste of money that is. (laughs) If you want to liberate all those good things that are in it, it is best to grind it first. Yep. Okay. Now, I'm not sure if this is in your wheelhouse, um, but when I cook for my vegan friend, I actually boil flax seeds and I use the resulting gel in place of eggs in the recipes. Ah, that's pretty awesome. Yep. That's that's a good thing to do too. Oh, okay. Good. I wasn't sure. Yep. Just be aware of that when you're raising the temperature of them, it is going to wreck some of their therapeutic value. Okay. Um, yeah, but I understand. I understand that is a good substitute for eggs and, uh, yeah, very, very viable way of doing it. So use the boiled for egg replacement, but then grind, yeah. grind fresh and add that in. Okay. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Um, number eight, use lots of turmeric in your cooking. A principal active component in turmeric is a yellow pigment known as curcumin. 
And we have dozens of research studies, I would say hundreds of research studies, which indicate curcumin is a potent anti-cancer phytochemical. And it does that in a number of ways. It's anti-inflammatory, antioxidative, antimicrobial. It boosts the immune system and it protects cells against genetic mutations. So um, turmeric is considered the number one anti-cancer herb to use. And for best results, I recommend both taking it as a supplement so you can get a true therapeutic dose, but also cooking with it to maximize the absorption of it. You'd want to combine it with a cold-pressed oil and some black pepper. Otherwise, it's not um, absorbed very easily. This is really interesting because pre-COVID, I was helping an elderly East Indian woman with her food prep. She was elderly and just couldn't stand up in the kitchen as much. So she coached me because I went in saying, like, I have no idea, you know, about your methods of cooking. She used generous portions of turmeric. Um, She used a really high-quality olive oil. And she Mm -hmm. used black pepper as just standard procedure in her cooking. Yep. Indian people know what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, they've been using this as their medicine for many, many centuries. Okay, yep. lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. So number nine is to drink one or two cups of organic green tea or white tea every day. And the difference between green tea and white tea isn't too much. White tea is sourced from the first bud of the tea plant, while green tea is obtained from the next two leaves. That's it. That's the difference. Um, and black tea is the ones behind that, I think, um, the, the leaves that follow on down. But the white tea has been shown to have the highest level of antioxidants and other anti-cancer uh, ingredients. One class of flavonoids from these teas is called catechins, and the catechins have been widely studied for their anti-cancer potential. Uh, green and white tea are the best source of catechins in the human diet, um, green tea contains about three times more than black tea does, and white tea is even better than green, as I said. So in terms of how good it is for you, uh, choose white tea first, green tea second, and black tea comes in a distant third. In studies on green tea, it's been shown that it slows or completely prevents cancer developing in cells of the breast, colon, liver, and prostate. Uh, other studies involving green tea have shown similar protective in- effects in tissues of the lung, the skin, the digestive tract. So that's a really important one to include. And it's so easy. I mean, when you think about, you know, using um, food as your medicine, this one's one's super easy. Um, Once again, I'm just going to ask a question. Um, In an effort to do better a couple of years ago, (laughs) um, I started replacing uh, some of my fluid during the day with green tea. Mm -hmm. I thought incorrectly it was caffeine-free. Oh, right. It contains about 15% of uh, what a cup of coffee would. Yeah. Mm, I found oh, after several not- cups I was definitely buzzing. Yeah. Is it is the decaffeinated green tea as effective? Um, If you can find it, I think it, it might be a, a good, yeah, especially for late in the afternoon if you want to have some green tea. Yeah. What I find works for me is that I'll have a couple of cups in the morning and then, but I keep those tea, the, I keep it in a tea ball. Um, it's actually better if you're going to be drinking it to get it loose leaf 
Um, and any tea really is better loose leaf because uh, the fact that they're using bleach and different things in tea bags, which <laughs> can also cause problems for us, <laughs> of course. Uh, so, yeah, I keep my tea ball aside and I stick it in a glass of water and I just let it steep there. And so um, I, I'm continually having the green tea, but in a, in a much more diluted fashion in the afternoon. Okay. Now, how about white tea? Does it have caffeine? Yeah. Do you know? Yes, yes, Same it will. Thing. Okay. Yep, yep. Yep, the tea plant just, just does, but uh, um, yeah, but it's a lot less than what you would have in coffee for sure. So number 10 is one that people don't like to hear about very much. Keep alcohol use to an absolute minimum. Some natural therapists will say avoid it entirely because, after all, alcohol is a toxin and your liver has to detoxify it. I believe, though, that if you want to enjoy your life, one or two glasses of organic wine per week is nothing to worry about, unless you do have cancer, in which case alcohol must be strictly avoided to give your body the best chance to heal. I mean, think about it. If your liver is spending precious energy detoxing alcohol, that's going to keep it busy doing that when it could be doing other things to help you heal. Uh, and the liver is really important. It has something like 500 different functions in the body. So you want to keep it happy. So if you do choose to drink alcohol, make sure that what you do drink, especially wine, is organic because grapes are one of the most highly sprayed fruits. And these chemicals are toxic and you just don't need them in your body. Okay, guilty as charged. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people are, you know. Um, you know. Yeah. We, we enjoy a beautiful, I mean, we're, we're living in wine growing country here in Western Australia. And uh, all I have to do is drive for five minutes outside my door and there's grapevines everywhere, you know, and some of the most wonderful wines. So, yeah, we have to be really, really cautious. But there is, luckily, there is a really beautiful biodynamic winery very close by. And uh, they have some really gorgeous wines. So um, I would say, yes, it's going to be more expensive to buy organic, but more and more wineries are going that way. And it's not hard to find anymore like it used to be 20 years ago. And I really think it's worth the effort to, to switch to organic for sure. Well, you know, I, I often joke that, uh, you know, I'm the queen of cheap wine because sometimes if I'm working late on the computer, I'll just pour a glass and sip it. And when I'm not noticing it, I, you know, whatever. But I must admit, when I, <laughs> when I pay good money for a good bottle of wine, then yeah. it is. I just, I enjoy it. It takes longer, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So once again, yeah. better to spend a bit of money and, uh, on less than to uh, go cheap and drink more. Absolutely. Very true. So now we're going to move into the ones that are more to do with lifestyle alterations. Uh, is filter your drinking and bathing water. This is a hotly debated issue at the moment, and many water authorities and scientists will flatly deny it, but there is, I believe, a definite link between the accumulation of chlorine compounds in breast tissue and the development of breast cancer. We definitely know that organochlorines have estrogen-like effects in the body. One study done a number of years ago found that women with breast cancer had 50 to 60% higher levels of organochlorines in their breast tissue than women without breast cancer. So I always recommend filtering your drinking water with a good quality filtration unit. It doesn't have to be reverse osmosis or anything expensive. There are plenty of good units out there for $200 and under. Um, and also, 
place a, a filter on your shower head because when you're standing there having a hot shower in unfiltered water, you're breathing in loads of chlorine and it goes straight from your lungs into your bloodstream. So yeah, m- your body's pretty good at excreting some of it, but the older we are, the less, the less effective our uh, systems of elimination can get. So that's uh, a really important thing to know. Well, and again, I don't think I've ever even heard of a shower head filter, but after reading your article here, I went looking online and they're really common and they're really affordable. Yeah, they are. And the one well, the one that's my favorite is the vitamin C shower filter because then you're getting a nice dose of vitamin C at the same time as you're taking a shower. I think that's great. Oh, okay. Well, I'll go looking for that one now. Yeah, that's a really good one. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you. And number 12, so we're at the halfway point here, um, keeping a healthy weight. Unfortunately, being obese increases your breast cancer risk. And for one thing, fat cells manufacture estrogen, especially after menopause. And obesity has been shown to be responsible for about 20 to 30% of postmenopausal breast cancers. And um, we've got a review of dozens of clinical trials involving 80,000 women, and that showed that being overweight significantly increased the risk of dying from breast cancer-related causes for younger premenopausal women. So keep that weight down, and one way to do that is with my next tip. So if you want me to continue on, or um, we can break it up. It's up to you, Agnes. Okay. Um, just looking at the clock, why don't we break it up? Because now that you've put your little hook out there, everybody's going to be <laughs> pacing the floor <laughs> for a whole week for episode the next episode. Just on the whole healthy weight thing, the, the note I had made there is just um, – you know, obviously, there's so much logic to maintaining a healthy weight. But um, is breast cancer more difficult to detect in a in a larger, denser breast that often comes with a, a an overfat person? Yes, it can be. Yep, dense breasts definitely are are, uh, and and it isn't just from. I mean, you know, people with normal weights can have a dense breast as well, and it is more difficult for sure. One thing that I recommend people do is uh, rather than having mammograms yearly after a certain age, start out with something called thermal imaging. It, uh, it's a better way of seeing uh, what's happening in the breast, and it works by detecting the heat signature. If you've got a, if you've got a developing tumor, um, unless it's really, really deep in the breast, if you've got something developing, it's going to show up as a heat pattern on the on the outside of the, the skin. So um, because it's going to send out little tentacles and, yeah, there's a lot more metabolic activity there. And the thermal imaging cameras can pick that up. And it's much less invasive. That's the thing. I, I The one thing I've got against mammography, it's not only is it. Uh, smashing the breast and providing a pretty healthy dose of radiation at the same time, the thermal imaging doesn't do that. It's not invasive at all. You're just sitting in front of a camera and it's picking up the heat signatures. They have you plunge your hand into a bucket of ice water, you know, so that you can really chill yourself pretty well. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how they, how they go about doing that. Um, and a lot of doctors will poo-poo the whole thing and say it's not proven technology um, but it's getting better and better all the time, and I think it's a much better way of looking 
at the breast. Okay, well, before we wrap up uh, episode one, um, can I ask you a personal question? Absolutely. You you don't have an Australian accent. How did you come to be living in Australia? <laughs> well, I'm I'm from Colorado originally, and uh, we came here in 1990. Uh, Hubby was invited to come. He had a cousin who was living here at the time, and we came for a visit, and we fell in love with the place and said, oh, my gosh, this is like California, you know, 30 years previously. It was very underdeveloped, very quiet beautiful beaches, beautiful way of life. And he was, hubby was offered a job. He, in, uh, he's a motorcycle mechanic, Harley Davidson's. And there are more Harley, uh, owners per capita here in Western Australia than anywhere else in the world. So his, his skills were highly sought after. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what brought us here. And we, has he met Charlie Borman yet? (laughs) No, no. We, we do like we do like his uh, his movies though they're very oh, interesting. <laughs> me too. I I didn't ride Harley's, but I was a, a rider for a long time, and uh, yeah, I'm just hooked on Charlie and Ewan's yeah. trips. But, yes. Um, okay. Uh, Thank you, Marty. I'm gonna sort of wrap up quickly here, just because um, I can't wait to get started on our our second episode. Thanks so much for this, and Thank for you. all of our listeners, you can tell just how much Marnie knows about this stuff. So next week we're going to do a second episode, and Marnie's going to cover off her second set of tips, and you will not get the link to get this for yourself until after next week. So be sure to tune in, and uh, thanks again, Marnie. Thank you, Agnes. Thank you.